ho, Welcome to... Welcome to the Great Christmas Dive Podcast. Ho, 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 ho. Have you been a good boy this year, old Brando? No, Santa Jamesy. No. Oh, no, no, Brando, no. you've been a little... <clears throat> You've been a little naughty this year, Brando. I've uh, been a complete demon. You know me. What do I get? Where, where's my gifts? Oh, I've got a gift for you. <laughs> Uh-oh. Is it a lawnmower 5.0? <laughs> ho, 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 ho. You got it right. Finally. Thank you, Santa Jamesy. Yes, Brando. This year, once again, we're brought to you by Santa's number one helper, Manscaped. And this holiday season, go beyond the boring gifts and you get to stuff your stocking with something that you actually want this year, Brando. The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra from Manscaped. You got it. It's the ultimate in below-the-waist trimmers designed to treat your special little snowflake. Don't forget. <laughs> Brando, it's time your family gave you the gift of joy, the joy of smoothness, and slay the holidays for you this year. And uh, they could do that with 20% off and free shipping if they went to manscaped.com with the code TGDP. And uh, ladies out there, if if your little diver in your life has been naughty like Brando, this is a little gift for him and you. Brando, tell the people why uh, Manscaped is the perfect gift for the holiday season. Oh, <laughs> because you can't go wrong, Santa Jamesy. You can't go wrong. They need to know what it's like to unwrap the magic of Manscaped. Well, you can't explain it in words, Jamesy. You just have to experience it for yourself. Use the order code TGDB, get 20% off, get free shipping. And experience the wonderment of opening up your own, or your loved ones can open up their own. I know you're a big fan of the old Beard Hedger Pro Kit. I am. I'm not just a big fan. I'm also a climber. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, he's a member, all right. Does the dive buddy in your life have uh, too much of a winter scruff, everybody? Look no further than Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Get out there and get 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP over at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TGDP. His balls will be singing, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> if your balls are singing anything, you better watch out. Things can get, get crazy after that. Brando, I've got a story for you and the people. And uh, I, you can see over here, I, I have the fireplace roaring. I'm gonna, I, I just put on my long winter sack. I see some chestnuts hanging out. My, that's, uh, <laughs> those are my manscaped chestnuts. Uh, sorry, this, this thing's got one of those little button, little fly things. Let me get that thing fixed straight up. But look, yeah. look, how, uh, look how smooth they are. You can see this? They're almost, you can see your reflection in the, like, the fireplace glimmering, <laughs> glimmering off my skin here. Make yourself a cocktail, nestle on up, you and the kitties, because I've got a little Christmas tale for you. This is about a Great Lakes shipwreck, one of the uh, famed Great Lakes shipwrecks, the Christmas tree ship, Brando. You know the Christmas tree ship, don't you? Oh, Tannenbaum, do I know it. (laughs) (laughs) This is about, uh, everybody, this is about the shipwreck of the Ruse Simmons, popularly known in Lake Michigan as the Christmas tree ship. And this is the tale of the old Christmas tree ship. We're going to have a lot of ho-ho-ho-ho-hos throughout, throughout this tale, aren't we, old Jamesy? Yes, we old are. Old Santa Jamesy. It's an interesting story. You know, uh, part of it, Brando, I, I told you, reminds me of like that, that opening scene of Robert Louis Stevenson's 
Treasure, Treasure Island. Island. You know, I, uh, one of my favorite books growing up. It's one of my first books I ever was given as a gift. I think I had that in uh, third grade along with uh, War and Peace. That's uh, a hell of a difference in books. <laughs> Okay, here, uh, read this <laughs> book some, some while uh, you read this little book uh, this week and while you're up here, and then read this one for the rest of your life. You can work on it's this Russian. other Russian, it's Russian. To the wholesalers holding forth in the commission markets that dotted the area around Chicago's old Clark Street Bridge, the arrival of the creaking old three-masted schooner Ruse Simmons was the traditional harbinger of the Christmas season, Brando. As it should be, because it's bringing the Christmas trees. Every year, yes. For as many, for as long as many of them could remember, the Ruse Simmons, Captain Herman Schooneman, owner and master, had topped off her seasonal wanderings with a big and always profitable November cargo of Christmas trees. Likewise, the annual haul spelled a fleeting era of prosperity for the denizens of the flop houses and mission dormitories of the district for Captain Sherman, whose thriftiness was legend, employed the derelicts to work cargo. And though the labor was hard, it was of short duration, a quick way to earn drinking money for a day or two. The, I, <laughs> Gots to get my drinking money. Get my drinking money on. It's Christmas okay, time. Christmas. It's Christmas time, Mama. The itinerants had a choice when they worked for the captain. They could take their pay in cash or in trees. Or in booze. There's a little known fact you don't know. You could take it in booze. You can always take it in uh, rum, and, the rum, and, rum and rye. <laughs> exactly. Skip the middleman. Rum ain't drinking, to quote old uh, trees, old trees from the deep. Uh, right. There rum we go. ain't drinking. Rum's just surviving. Now, they could get their pay in cash or they could get their pay in trees. And he says the latter, while slightly more remunerative in the long run, involved peddling them to the homebound crowds or office workers on distant street corners. Only those with some vestige of ambition left took the trees. Mostly, they grabbed their money and headed for the nearest saloon. Yeah, well, what else are you going to do on Christmas? Never tell a Navy man he's had too much to drink. <laughs> ask a Navy man how much he's had to drink. What is the exact quote? Oh, never ask a Navy man if we'll have another drink. That's what it is. Yeah. It's none of your goddamn business. This is how much he's already had. Dean of the men of leisure and usually accompanied by olfactory evidence of strong drink was peg-legged and bewhiskered Claude Winters, Captain Schooneman's contact man among the derelicts. For between Claude and the captain, there existed a strange bond. Seemingly worlds apart in their respective niches in life, an inexplicable psychological reaction brought out unexpected qualities in each, though they cursed each other mightily and in high good humor, underneath there ran an undercurrent of understanding and sympathy. In Claude, the captain saw an absolutely uninhibited individual, unfettered by the responsibilities that had come early in the life of Captain Schooneman. Soft-hearted and kind under his unkept, case-hardened exterior, Claude was apparently happy and content as the dean of the footloose legions who came and went as they pleased. <laughs> oh, fiddlesticks. <laughs> You're a bishop. Okay. Continue, Santa Jamesy. That's uh, intriguing. On the other hand, Claude envisioned the captain as a fearless seaman, a rugged master on the great wastes of fresh water where he himself might have sailed, but for a leg left under a boxcar in his youth and the resultant years of discouraged and spiritless wanderings. Spiritless wanderings. You know, back in the, the 1800s, you know, people think of, like, Great Lakes shipwrecks. I, think, I don't think a lot of people really give the, late, you know, the, the shipwrecks on our Great Lakes a lot of the, the love and the lore that, you know, old pirate shipwrecks, you know, in other parts of the oceany world 
may get. You know what I mean? Like people they should. They should because we had denizens of the the deep, and we had our own <laughs> miscreants at, in the harbors of. <laughs> The likes of Chicago and yeah. Milwaukee still do in Chicago and Milwaukee. Ooh. Yeah, well, at least Chicago. I don't know. I've heard. Uh, I haven't been to Milwaukee in a year or two, but. Oh, it's a nice little town. It is. They're both nice towns. Yeah, yeah. What are we talking about? I'm, we're just. Shout out to Detroit. Our... Detroiters, you know, you always got to give a little dig to the Chicago yes. boys when you get a chance. What about the Green Bay people? We're going to include them in with Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee, Green Bay. Hey, man, if you're, if you're in the Great Lakes, you're good in my book. Ditto. But, yeah, I mean, the other side of that, James, is when people, if you say to someone, pirate ship, and you ask them, okay, what do you picture? And they picture that, that you know, whether it's a three-masted schooner or whatever, they picture basically a sail, large sailing vessel, multiple masts, schooners, beautiful bowsprit, that wooden you know, iconic wooden sailing vessel. A bunch like a, of like drunk, a, drunk yes, guys in eye patches running around, you yeah. know, hoisting yeah. sails. And- right. And you're not going to find that in any ocean wreck anymore because, uh, sorry, they're gone. But they, we in the Great Lakes still have them. have them. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of the Great Lakes is we have the pirate ships, yo. And We've lo- got the meats. And I don't think anybody out there... Correct me if I'm wrong, people, but I don't. I don't think the majority of the people have ever heard a story like this about sailing of the Great Lakes. No, they're ignorant. <laughs> the majority of people are ignorant. Time to get educated, people. <laughs> Sit up and pay attention. Captain never, Sh- never uh, miss an opportunity to call a large, <laughs> massive group of people ignorant. <laughs> never take. Never miss You're an ignorant. opportunity to call your fan, listening fan base, and. <laughs> Ignorant <laughs> and uh, and financial supporters <laughs> ignorant. Financial true. Captain Shudeman, who hailed from Manistique, a tiny port on the northern shore of Lake Michigan, had long since earned the reputation of being a smart operator, one who played his cards close to his vest. His long-standing feuds with tug companies and bumboat skippers over birthing charges and the prevailing rates of beef and bacon had, over the years, inspired a legend of stinginess that enlivened the gossip of dockside saloons from Buffalo to Duluth. Most of the stories were exaggerated. Everyone agreed, though, that the captain was a great sailor. They recalled the gale of 89 when the Ruse Simmons was the only sailing craft on Lake Michigan to escape demasting or foundering. On another occasion, he picked up the entire crew of the old lumber hooker Cletus when she went down in a Lake Huron storm that was threatening to send the schooner down too. A little stubborn and headstrong perhaps, but Herman Schunemann was, without a doubt, a great sailor. The Gale of 89. The Gale. I remember, I remember Gale in 89. <laughs> I'll never forget Gale in 89. Those were the days. Those were the days. She liked to hang out at the pubs, the sailors, Gale. With you and old Captain Schunemann. I remember that little little pub up there at Alpena. Shooty. Old shooty. That was, uh, um, you guys were up at Latitudes up there in the Alpina. I think she's still working behind the bar, brother. Now, that's a classic. That's a bar where you could tell the story at and actually feel like you're in the story. You know, see, that's exactly yeah. what I mean. That's exactly what I mean about these kind of stories. You know, the, the, the little seaside pubs, latitudes being like a perfect one. I mean, that thing's been around for years, you know. It's like you're in a ship, you know, an, an old wooden schooner. It's one of those pubs that you it. could walk to, walk into in the middle of the afternoon on a day, and you would expect to see old Captain Shuneman and old Pegleg Claude actually sitting up at the end of the bar. Or even early in the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I meant. They got there early in the morning, and they're still there in the afternoon when we showed up. The seat's all nice and warm and polished by that time. But gruff. Curt and highly conservative in money matters toward others, the captain, in his voyages to Chicago, had displayed a perverse streak of light-hearted generosity toward the stocky, peg-legged Claude. 
Once the fucking cat- peg leg. Peg leg. He's got a fucking peg leg. I know. You're a, you're a notch up in the old sailing world if you got a peg leg. Uh, absolutely. This is uh, this is like the cool kind of pirate story that I'm talking about, man. If you got a peg leg, we could like amp this up. A peg leg, a hook for a hand, a steel hook where his hand once was, and a patch. Upon his eye. <laughs> Top it off with me, me old pal, Freddy, me parrot. Oi. And he sits on me shoulder telling me, haven't you had enough to drink? <laughs> <laughs> Once the captain had laughingly flipped the silver dollar to him, saying, always keep this and you'll never be broke. Years later. <laughs> If you never spend this money, you'll never be broke. Years later, Claude still had the cartwheel tucked away in his ragged wallet, and only he knew the sacrifices made to keep it. Whenever they met, Claude delighted in hauling out the coin, saying a little pridefully, Here it is, Cap. Still as good as new, and still a yearning to be spent. You sounded a little bit like Quint. You sounded like you got a little Robert Shaw going there. But somehow... As the captain insisted on paying for the drinks, the old silver dollar always managed to find its way back into the wallet. Arr. Ah, the old silver dollar, my boy. That's, uh, now, that's the name of my pub. It's going to be called the old silver dollar. Oh, that that's a great, that's a great sure pub. sure isn't taken. Oh, yeah. And if you look in the yellow pages, there's like 600 of them. <laughs> Yours is going to be different because... It's actually a quarter. (laughs) (laughs) It's a silver quarter. The old silver quarter. Thus it happened that on the morning of November 27th, 1913, Old Claude stomped out on the fog-bound Clark Street wharf, planted his scuffed wooden peg in a convenient crack in the planking, steadied himself with his good leg, and sniffed mightily. (laughs) <laughs> I love the smell of the wharf in the morning <laughs> Smells like me old silver dollar Smells like me old gale back in 89 <laughs> old gale of 89 I was the only one to survive her <laughs> Laying about a mile off the breakwater doses of penicillin later <laughs> Laying about a mile off the breakwater, he announced dramatically to a dozen seedy companions. Just laying there, waiting for the fog to lift. Anything to save tugging charges. Damn this tight-fisted soul. You ever seen a shark's eyes, Chiefy? <laughs> I was waiting for that to come out of there. Shark's eyes, they're black like doll's eyes. <laughs> What Claude pretended to smell was the spiced bouquet of pine and balsam in the Rue Simmons holds. Although in truth, a spice-laden barkentine from a fabled Indies could have opened her hatches to windward without penetrating the overpowering smell of creosted piling, deceased fish, and cheap whiskey that encompassed the group. I think you can get a candle of that flavor (laughs) at uh, the Hallmark store. It's called pirate ship. <laughs> it's at, uh, it has, this has notes of some cheap, uh, cheap whiskey. Uh, is, uh, so is that, uh, is that uh, weak old whitefish? Uh, <laughs> Smells like it. His nasal powers notwithstanding. Claude's information as to the vessel's probable location on that particular morning was in an ink-stained envelope under several layers of cast-off clothes. How the captain's letters managed to reach him reflected good credit on Uncle Sam's postal workers. Inasmuch as Claude's addressed dependent, a great deal on which of Chicago's 15-cent bed-and-bath hotels was currently extending credit. Reach him, however, it did. With a familiar scrawl. Expect to arrive early on 27th. Same arrangement as before. The same arrangement 
which had been in effect since 1899, was an extra $10 in consideration for Claude's diligent efforts in notifying wholesalers of the schooner's impending arrival and rounding up enough help sufficiently sober to walk the gangplank from spar deck to dock. That's going to be tough. (laughs) At this hour of the morning. (laughs) With me peg leg and me parrot on me shoulder. And just one eye. I have no depth perception. This would be me in 1899. (laughs) Walking around the seedy underbelly of Chicago, looking to get in a couple extra bucks by hauling some Christmas trees down the gangplank. (laughs) Drinks are on me. I'm hauling Christmas trees today. Drinks are on me, boys. By virtue of the usual agreement, Claude has led his motley followers to the dock, fully expecting to see the familiar outlines of the schooner nosing up to the dock through the oily scum that covered the river. On the morning of the 27th, however, there was, in addition to the fog, a bitterly cold wind from the east in an internment smattering of snow. The busy tugs were snorting up river with grain vessels, but no schooner was in sight, Brando. Son of a goat. No Charlie Brown Christmas tree. What's going what's gonna to happen? Despite Claude's worried stopping about the dock and the prolific swearing that accompanied it, the morning wore on without sign of the aged 180-foot schooner. As the hours passed, Claude alternately cursed the captain, the weather, the schooner, and the companions who were rapidly deserting him to seek shelter in the missions. At four o'clock, the lighthouse keeper reported smoke from a distant inbound steamer, but no telltale masts of a sailing craft. Cold, hungry, and discouraged, Claude trudged wearily up the bridge steps, pausing at the top. He braced himself against the wind and peered searchingly toward the distant lake. Towering seas were exploding over the breakwater. The inbound steamer was nearing the shelter of the harbor. The harbor lights winked in the dusk, but there was no distant glint of light, such as might come from the masthead lamps of the Ruse Simmons. Things are getting a little tense. Yes, yes, they are. Perfect time to go warm up my coffee. All right, sounds like a good idea. Me too. (laughs) Hey, are you going diving this weekend? Keep your mask clear with the one, the only, PFAR. The professional's choice. 100% all natural. Reliable clarity. PFAR. Refill daily. Keep your mask clear. Never fear. Defog with Defog. Defog is an investment of the animals. Four events. Isn't All that is empirical. And it's an undefilled only. By normal divers, not kind of scientists whatsoever. Up in the blunted, pine-scented hills of Schoolcraft and Mackinac counties in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, The old Rue Simmons, her driving master in the grim days of November 1913, are still legend, Brando. Of course they're legend. Gales of November create legends. Right, right. Now, this is is late November. There's a lot of gales. (laughs) (laughs) This is late November, and we know from... uh, some of the past episodes that we did about the great storm of 1913, which happened in early right. November. So just a couple months just prior where uh, a couple weeks. Yeah. A couple weeks prior. Yeah. Yeah. A couple weeks prior. There's an old saying that sailors are not good businessmen. Otherwise Reminds me of the old saying sailors make a bad businessman. <laughs> Have you ever heard that sale? That old saying? <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't be sailors. <laughs> Okay. They'd be businessmen. <laughs> Tis true, me boy. Captain Herman Schunemann was an exception to the rule. In an age when steam and propellers were rapidly relegating sailing craft to the boneyards, he always managed to keep the old schooner on the move and always at a profit. 
a deck load of boxed apples from Green Bay to Chicago, fence posts from Manistique to Port Huron, shingles from St. Ignace to Detroit, or salt from Amherstburg to Milwaukee. It made little difference to the captain, so long as the ship earned a few honest dollars. Her canvas was old and patched, her cordage frayed and knotted, and her galley perpetually understocked. But the valiant old three-sticker sailed on long after newer and bigger schooners were snaked into the lonely and polluted backwaters to rot away. Her rated carrying capacity was 500 gross tons. Gross. It's like 500 tons of, like, guts. Just some dog poop. Something gross. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what a gross ton is. Ew. <laughs> did, did the dad jokes get any better than, than, than that? The captain's Christmas tree hall was a seasonable but highly remunerative operation typical of his enterprising spirit. It was a choice plum to be plucked before ice and snow ended the freshwater shipping season. When the big timber operators moved westward after denutting the peninsula's hills of choice timber, they left behind a gold mine in five, six, seven, and eight-foot stands of second-growth pine and balsam. Quick to see the possibilities, Captain Shinneman set about turning nature's bounty into ready cash. The low water transportation cost and the availability of cheap labor to cut bundle and haul the trees to his dock enabled him to undersell the wisconsin and minnesota growers who were obliged to ship their trees to chicago by rail now like we were saying brando the season of 1913 had been a disastrous one for the great lakes vessel operators true from november 8th to the 12th the worst storm in a century had mauled the shipping lanes Ten big freighters disappeared with all hands, and a score more lay broken and stranded on the beaches. All along the lakes, the shoreline was littered with masts, lifeboats, spars, bodies, and ruined cargo. Four hundred seamen perished in those four terrible days, and the lake cities were buried under record snowfalls. Which is 1913, man. Yeah, you know, we, we've talked about it in, in past shows of like the the urge to get that last run to to make that money. Greed, baby, greed. And um, then to have like the the spirit of old Captain Shuneman here, who he's kind of just like a private independent operator for the most part. Well, he, he's you know, the captain and the owner. Uh, yeah, so yeah, is... he's not like running one of these like big freighters at the time. No, a big no, corporate freighter. No, just a schooner. It's, it's, it's uh, and it's his schooner. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he's, and knowing, knowing that this storm it was a couple of weeks ago, and it wiped out all of the Great Lakes. And then now he's like, eh, I could still get, I can well, get one more running. What are the chances two of them are going to come by? Two of the worst storms in the recorded <laughs> history of shipping on the Great Lakes. What are the chances they're both going to be here within weeks of each other? Right, yeah. It was it was entirely in keeping with the shrewd captain's character that he was able to turn the excesses of nature to his own advantage. The deep snow reaching unprecedented depths in the tree farm areas made it impossible for men and horse-drawn rigs to get to the cutting plots. Frantic wholesalers in Chicago were already clamoring for trees, and only Herman Schunemann was in a position to deliver. So, while shipping companies were still totaling their losses in ships and men, the captain had every available woodsman in the bush cutting trees. A steady stream of haulers dragged the cut trees down the trails, and horse-drawn bobsleds brought towering loads to the Schooneman docks at Thompson Harbor, just south and west of Manistique. Part of the schooner's crew bundled the trees and tossed them into the hold where others jammed them into every available inch of space from keelson to deck beams, from bow to stern, night head to stern post. The aged Ruse Simmons was crammed with a fragrant cargo. 
when the hatch planking was lashed down and most of the laborers dismissed, she was well down on the water loading line, but carried her cargo with trim, dignity, and grace of a well-built ship. But the woodsmen had worked fast and efficiently, still piled on the dock when the hatched tarpaulins were battened down were hundreds of trees worth nothing on the dock but representing a tidy fortune in Chicago, and the thrifty captain must have been calculating their marketable value, for just as the cook was about to announce dinner, he rounded up first mate Charles Nelson. Get some of the men back, he ordered. We're going to take a deck load. <laughs> Ah, and that's where the that's where the greed gets you, eh? Well, yeah. I mean, it's you know, like I believe it'd probably have to be a delicate balance of you know, just like going out uh, on a, on a diving charter. There's always the do I cancel? I lose all the money. I disappoint the the divers. Most of the divers, you know, you know how we usually are. I mean, we're good to go for. Uh, slightly rough seas but um when it gets crazy it's not that much fun right and you know the great lakes uh, again for many uh many a diver around the world they don't realize you know what six to eight foot waves are on you know with the action on the great lakes it's not yeah. like a six eight foot wave on the rollers the, the, out, the, 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 out on yeah. the pacific ocean i mean it, it's a completely different world out there yeah, and it's, to, to uh, try to to try to do a dive, especially a dive on a wreck like the Rue Simmons, which is sitting in about 170 feet of water, like to have the equipment with you to, to do that in four to five footers is an ass kicker. Yeah, getting in and out of that boat. Yeah, it's choppy, it's rough, um, and I I know the ocean is too, uh, but the the wave frequency is insane. Wearily, the sailors and dockhands relayed more bundles aboard, row upon row. They were pyramided to the length of the deck. From bowsprit to stern cabin, the Ruse Simmons sagged under her burden. So little freeboard was left that her outer bobstays were submerged. They finished trimming her by lantern light, lashing the deck load as best they could. Earlier, the captain had contemplated two trips because of the unique market conditions, but the extremely cold weather and likelihood of an early freeze-up indicated that only one would be possible, but that one would probably be the most profitable the captain had ever undertaken. At noon, Brando, on November 25th, in the face of a rising gale that sent other vessels beating frantically for shelter, the Ruse Simmons spread her patchwork canvas to the hungry winds and swung on an east-southeast tack into the surging rollers of Lake Michigan, split by the downward lunges of her martingale and bobstays, the mounting green seas of the open lake lathered up over her bow sprit shrouds to send their foaming fury in the matted bulk of Christmas trees stacked under her foresail boom. The steam tug, Burger, with her schooner Dutch boy in tow, had safely rounded Sol Shoy Point and was rolling rails under as she neared the shelter of Manistique when Dennis Gallagher her master first sighted the downbound schooner off his bow. His excited hammering on the pilot house floor quickly brought the rest of his crew to his side. Mother of God, look! He screamed above the howling of the wind. That crazy Dutchman's going out in this, and him with every inch of canvas up. <laughs> the crazy Dutchman. Unbelievingly. They peered out the port windows between sheets of water that shot over the tug's bow to sluice the upper rails and pilot house glass. Awestruck by the sight of the gray-sailed old schooner budding into the rising seas, they shook their heads and went wordlessly back to the steamy, clanking belly of the tug, each convinced that Captain Schoenemann had taken leave of his senses." keeping the vessel headed east-southeast just long enough to be certain of clearing Wiggins Reef and the shoals off Point O Bark. The captain then swung her west-southwest 
on the Chicago course in a day where a lot of the, the sailing work was just guessing at getting around the reef. Yeah. The mounting gale, Brando, blowing west-southwest, whistled over Wisconsin, gathered new strength over the tossing wastes of Green Bay and thundered on over Lake Michigan, rolling almost undeterred through the passages above St. Martin Island and Rock Island. The giant seas caught the Ruth Simmons on her starboard beam as she left the quieter waters in the lee of Point Detour and Summer Island. Caught now in the stunning force of winds that screeched onward at 60 miles per hour. The schooner heeled far over to port as the storm-taught canvas pulled at her topmasts. Protesting, her ribs and deadwood groaned as the weight of her seas felt on her. Weather, deck, planking, and tore at her bulwarks. White water covered her port rail almost continuously while the seas boarded her over the bow, hammered unceasingly at her lashed deck cargo. Huddled in the small stern cabin and the lower deck bunks while Captain Shuneman fought the wheel, the 16 crewmen listened to the wild, discordant shrieking of the gale as it played an agonizing symphony in the time-worn top hamper. Above the gurgling rush of the seas, they heard the brash strumming of the gale laboring at the big sticks. Wildly, the wind discarded the masts and howled through the maze of shrouds, stays, and lifting blocks converging near the trestle trees. Blocks, stays, wire, rope, and chain each gave out its own peculiar snarling chant audible above the anvil chorus of the mast hoops, each clanking and chattering a different eerie dirge against the masts and booms. And below, they heard the tortured moaning of the mizzenmast laboring in her oaken steps. Forward in the hull, the fragrant cargo of pine and balsam trees deadened the sound of the joints, working and whining in chorus. Sometime during the night, as some of the sailors were checking the lashings, the tremendous sea swept over the ship. With a sodden, scraping rush, many of the bundled trees went over the port side, taking two sailors and a small boat for good measure. Whoa. This is some mighty water to be in. And it's cold. Ah, uh, It's mighty and cold. It's mighty cold. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's cold right now. Just imagine. Wind, you know, wind and it, snow and ice. The, like the last trip out before the, the, the big, big Lake Michigan starts to freeze over. Total chaos. Cats and dog living together. Freed of some of her burden, the Ruth Simmons shook her jib stays like a punch-junk fighter and waded into the rearing greenbacks off Port de Moor. Lashed together neither wheel, whose violent thrashings now claimed their combined efforts, Captain Shuneman and First Mate Nelson saw a glimmer of hope in the situation. We might save her now, the captain shouted. Give me a little daylight, by Godfrey. I'll get her into shelter at Bailey's Harbor. <laughs> and, and this is, uh, you know, again, this is a, a day where, like, the, the ship is, like, piloted by this guy's two hands. You know, not, like, pointing not a, by pointing a, computer. a button. <laughs> yeah. pointing, pushing a button not that a says uh, Chicago. And, yeah. There's no cell phones. Thank God. I'd go back. <laughs> There are some who believe the captain might have made the harbor safely, but for the sly caprice of Mother Nature. Just at dawn, when the first ghostly light would have enabled the captain to get his bearings, the wind, without abating, suddenly swung into the east, and now with it came a furious snowstorm and a breathtaking drop in temperature. The seas still swept over the gallant old schooner, but when they rolled onward, they left a thin white coating of ice, a coating that thickened with each succeeding sea. And by eight o'clock, the Ruse Simmons was helpless. 
Her torn sails and lowered rigging was a rigid formation of ice, with her ice-sheathed masts jutting up like frosted church spires. Huge knobs of ice grew alarmingly on each tackle block, cleat, lanyard, and chock, held down by the mounting tons of ice that built up on her bobstay chains, martingale rigging and bowsprit. Her bow sloughed into the surging green hills with a beaten, almost subservient spirit. The water, cascading onto her hold through the battered hatch covers, fell upon the bundled trees, and soon water and cargo were turned as one into ice. Burr. Just the big, frozen, flying Dutchman. (laughs) A Christmas tree, frozen in time. At noon on the 26th, during a temporary lull in the snowstorm, surfmen of the old United States Life-Saving Service spotted the Rue Simmons from the station tower at Sturgeon Bay. She was flying distress signals and was low in the water, but was apparently being driven swiftly along by the gale. Ringing an alarm, the surfmen ran to the tower steps and shouted down, Three-masted schooner in distress off the ship canal! 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 After a hurried conference between officers and men, it was decided that it would be impossible to catch the storm-driven ship with her small surfboat. The news was telephoned to the Keweenaw Station some 25 miles to the south. There, the lifesavers immediately launched a large surfboat and rowed outward in an attempt to intercept the distressed schooner. Rowed. Road. road they're trying to to meet it at somewhere in between and it's 25 miles out and they're going to be rowing that's uh impressive go to the gym and get on that rowing machine for, fi- row for five over. minutes <laughs> for, just row a couple miles yeah for two hours they searched the heaving seas without success suddenly there came another lull in the storm and someone cried out there she is! A sorry sight she was. The there she blows! <laughs> Don't get confused with there she is. A sorry sight she was. The remnants of her topsails flapped furiously like a forgotten flag on the courthouse steeple. Her cordage swung in frozen knots, and the hull burdened down by hundreds of tons of ice, had barely enough freeboard to keep her afloat, each rushing comber taking her down still farther. Desperately, the lifesavers pulled toward her, but before they could cover a fraction of the distance, the smothering blanket of snow came again, and the schooner vanished from sight like a phantom derelict. No living person ever saw the Ruse Simmons again. Yeah, they did. Underwater. <laughs> Except for some divers. It's false. That's blatantly and patently false. Nowadays, she lies 170 <laughs> feet below those frozen waters of cold Lake Michigan. She's a little ways from Keweenaw, too, isn't she? Yeah, she's uh, up north of Chicago, north of well, she's north, north of, Milwaukee. of Milwaukee. Yeah, upwards, you know, south of Green Bay, but uh, you know, kind of in between there, off of uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Yeah. So I have dived the old Rouse Simmons back. I used to do a little bit of diving out of uh, Sheboygan with uh, Jitka, actually. Oh and yes, my old buddies, Danny and Dwayne. And Andy, and Jocko, and, and it's Frank, st- <laughs> <laughs> and it's still sitting uh, up upright on the bottom. Most mostly intact. Mass masts have fallen. Yeah, she's a uh, a nice sailing vessel for uh, photo ops. I think I've got a photo a- Andy took of me on it. Brando, there was a shortage of Christmas trees in Chicago that year, but. Not along the Wisconsin shore. 
On December 12th and frequently thereafter, commercial fishermen from Two Rivers Point reported bitterly that they found their nets clogged with Christmas trees. Hundreds of them. It's going to be a Merry Christmas after all. God bless us, everyone. But old Claude, old peg-legged Claude, his faith in his friend unshaken, still still insisted to all who would listen that the Ruse Simmons would eventually come in. Daily, he haunted the old dock under the Clark Street Bridge. Even the newspaper stories of the bottle and note found on the beach at Sheboygan, Wisconsin, failed to discourage him. The note had said, Milk, (laughs) cheese, eggs. (laughs) That was a different note. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Friday, everybody, goodbye. I guess we are all through. During the night, the small boat was washed overboard, leaking bad. Ingvald and Steve lost two. God help us. Herman Schunemann. That's a chilling, forgive the pun, but it's a chilling note. Chilling note, a chilling message in a bottle. The old, this is what I'm saying, man. This, is, this story's got it all right out of Treasure Island. Pirates, message in a bottle treasure of christmas trees the old silver dollar peg, <laughs> peg leg, leg peg leg clawed but days passed without a word from the ruse simmons brando unnoticed by the carousing revelers in the waterfront saloon old claude crept out on christmas eve for one last visit to the dock The wind whistled through the bridge's supporting timbers, and the snow came fitfully. At midnight, the wind died down, and the snow fell softly in the enveloping blanket that drowned the tops of the pilings like freshly whipped meringue. He was still there at the dock when they found him the next morning, only his face, protected by the sagging brim of a battered hat, was free of the white coating. Briefly, the wane sun of a Christmas morning glistened through the opening in the gray clouds as a policeman turned him over on a stretcher. A silver dollar, slipping from his stiffened fingers, dropped unseen through a crack in the planking to plunk into the oily backwaters. Looks like too much Christmas spirits, said the young police surgeon. The hardened beat cop spat and grinned. Yeah, too much of the old Christmas spirit. Too much of the old Kris Kringle. Ten years. (laughs) (laughs) Never ask a peg man if he's had too much. (laughs) He wants another drink. Too much of the Christmas spirit. Because it's nobody's goddamn business. Ten years after the Ruse Simmons disappeared, Lake Michigan yielded another and final clue. Again, it was a fisherman off the Wisconsin shore who brought it up to light. In their nets, along with the harvest of fish, was a battered, waterlogged wallet. It was the wallet of Captain Herman Shuneman. Old Shooty. And that, Brando, is the old story written by the pen of Dwight Boyer. Great stories of the Great Lakes. And uh, that is the story of the Christmas tree ship. Thrilling tales of tragedy, humor, and heroism. Well, it's not very uplifting, <coughs> James. It's not a uh, I'm going home with a good feeling in my uh, heart feel a little sad. I'm a little down for my fellow seamen. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, could you imagine 16, 16 uh, sailors and, and a captain yeah. alo- all losing their lives on this last final haul trying to make some major Christmas bank at the, at the end of the end of the season, get uh, get some extra heavy deck load on top of uh, that major haul and bam. 
storm storm rolls through you couldn't just like turn the weather channel on back in those days and uh, no, see no. what was uh, coming what the what the old forecast was looking like no the uh, even radios uh, you know remember this is, that would have helped remember a lot of this great storm is was like the birth of uh, that, that national weather service so we, we learned when we did that big uh, story about the the storm of 1913. It's a rough year, weather-wise, and yeah, it's kind of a, a, a bit of a sad story for Christmas. You know, Christmas trees strewn about. Although a lot of people got free Christmas trees that year, apparently. All I mean, up and down the shores of Wisconsin. Well, I'm, aren't there already Christmas? There, there's pine trees they growing all up, up and down. Except instead of smelling like pine and balsam, they had scents of old, cheap whiskey, <laughs> dead <laughs> fish. Yeah, kind of a sad story, but Christmas trees, it, it dealt with Christmas trees, so there's there's your hook, there's your Christmas link, if you will. Yeah, there's the Christmas story, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed our little Christmas special. Um, Brando, I got a little, uh, you know, Brando, on the first day of Christmas... It was, you know, Santa gave to me and Brando a lawnmower 5.0. What a fine day it was, that first day of Christmas. Reminds me of a little song. (laughs) You know, James, on the second day of Christmas, Santa gave to old me and Jamesy two turtle mugs and... A lawn. You're supposed to join in. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Two and, turtle mugs and, and a, a lawn, lawn mower 5.0. On the third day of Christmas, Santa gave to me and old Brando three French red beanies, two, two turtle, turtle mugs, mugs and, and a lawn mower 5.0. On the fourth day of Christmas, old Santa gave to Jamesy and I four shooting lenses, three, three French red beanies, two, two turtle mugs, and a lawnmower 5.0. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep being off on the 5.0 with you. <laughs> Twas on the fifth day of Christmas, Brando, that... Santa gave to me and to Brando five new O-rings, four, four shooting, shooting lenses, three French red beanies, two turtle mugs, and a lawnmower 5.0. On this seventh day Six. of Christmas, six days of <laughs> Old Santa gave to Jamesy and I six articles on Exley. Five, Five new rings, four shooting lenses, three French red beanies, two turtle mugs, and a lawnmower 5.0. On the seventh day of Christmas, my uh, Santa gave to me, <laughs> my true love Santa gave to me, seven tips on panicking, six, six articles, articles on, on X-Leaks, five O-Rings, four shooting lenses, three French red beanies, two turtle bugs, and a lawnmower, 5.0. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true Santa gave to Jamesy and I eight incidents of reporting, seven tips, seven on, tips panicking, on panicking, six, six articles, articles on, on Exley, five, five new O-rings, four, four shooting, shooting lenses, Three, three French red beanies, two turtle bugs, and a lawnmower 
really coming together on the five point. On the ninth day of Christmas, Santa gave to Brando and me <laughs> nine philosophies of DIRing, eight, eight incidents, incidents of reporting. Of Seven, Seven tips, tips on, on panicking. panicking. Six, Six articles, articles on, on Exley. Five new rings. Four, four shooting, shooting lenses. lenses. Three French red beanies. beanies two turtle, turtle mugs. And, and a lawnmower 5.0. On the tenth day of Christmas, my true Santa love gave to Jamesy and I. Ten legends of pioneering. Nine philosophies of DIRing. Eight incidents of reporting. Seven tips on panicking. Six articles on Exley. Five new rings. Four shooting lenses. Three French red beanies. Two turtle mugs. And a lawnmower 5.0. On the 11th day of Christmas, old Santa, <laughs> Captain Santa gave to we, Arr. eleven ships a-sinking, ten legends a-pioneering, nine philosophies of the IRing, eight incidents of reporting, seven tips on panicking, six articles on Exley, five new Four shooting lenses. Three French red beanies. Two turtle mugs. And a lawnmower 5.0. And on the 12th day of Christmas, old Santa gave to Jamesy and I 12 post-dive beers for drinking. 11 Le- ships a-sinking. 10 legends of pioneering. 9 philosophies of the IRing. Eight incidents of reporting. Seven tips on panicking. Six articles on Exley. Five new Four shooting lenses. Three, three French red beanies. Two, two turtle bugs. And, and a lawnmower 5.0. Hey, big shout out to our uh, friend Katie for uh, sending us that. And a uh, shout Thanks, out to Katie. all of the listeners of the Great Dive Podcast, Brando. It's been uh, another wonderful year of uh, doing this for everybody. Thank you to everybody who chimed in last week when we thought we were going to get canceled for uh, sending that uh, story about uh, Jackie Jackie's, B. Jackie B's um um, opulent, opulent uh, bosoms, <laughs> omniscient, uh, and opulent. Only, we only got like mail, and we surprisingly we didn't get no How? you sexist bastards. Uh, so it was very nice. That was a Christmas present to me to only see uh, like like mail from everybody. Well, if we're offending you, you know, relax. Yeah, if we're offending you, you can always hit the little square button that stops yes, the podcast, stop. and you can go listen to something else. And to your, everybody that does, for everybody that does listen and uh, keeps enjoying and keeps hitting play, thank you to everybody. Uh, thank you to everybody uh, for your donations to the Great Dive Podcast and the Patreon sponsors who uh, keep chiming in every single month. Man, uh, we really need to do something extra special for you one of these days we promise we will but one thank of these you. days it's, uh, it's uh, you guys that allow this show to uh keep getting renewed every year and pay all those uh bills and uh allow us to keep coming back to you so thank you every thank you everyone god bless you everyone as tiny brando says in charles dickinson's classic christmas carol brando should we sign some log books let us shout. Brando, it's cold outside. <laughs> What's in this drink? <laughs> I really got a surface. <laughs> My wife will be worried. I got to sign a logbook. I don't know the rest of these lyrics. <laughs> let, me ha- let me hand my fins up. It's really quite nice here. We really can't stay. Brando, it's cold outside. 
We've got to go away. Brazo, it's cold outside. This podcast has been. Thank everybody for dropping in once again. So very nice. We're going to go diving even though there's some ice. <laughs> My wife will start to worry. Hey, what's her hurry? My kids will be pacing the floor. Hey, just tell them to listen to the old fireplace roar. So really, I better scurry. It's a dive you can't hurry. But maybe just a couple of drinks more. They think we're going diving. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. What?